0: It's that time again We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is
1: the Hive Jive. Cross fingers, everybody. We hope it works. Yes, <laughs> oh, and it hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi,
0: guys. It was a little choppy there for a second. So that's why we're kind of keeping our fingers crossed the whole time.
1: Yeah, I think I am stressing out my uh, Surface Pro because I have three separate lights hooked up to it, plus the microphones and all the other stuff that we usually do to run this whole pilot shenanigans (laughs) so uh my internet dipped down for a minute it was a little bit choppy so we're gonna give it a shot apologies in advance if it does hang up or lag or have weird things here and there um that's all i can say
0: (laughs) we'll we'll make do we'll make it work
1: that's right i'm gonna purposely freeze somewhere during the episode make natalie think that it locked up and see how long she can keep (laughs) talking to keep the whole subject going (laughs)
0: i'm
1: I'm getting pretty good at tap dancing right yeah right so anyhow uh oh also something else so we apologize in advance for any technical issues today however we uh belatedly (laughs) that's not a thing but we would like to belated apologize (laughs) <laughs> for last week. A belated apology for last week. There we go. That that flows a little bit better. Uh, so
0: we're both in bad shape.
1: We, we were not having a good recording day and it didn't have anything to do with the recording, but I've been doing a lot of renovation and construction work on an investment property that I've been working on. I got a bunch of grit and crap inside my eye and it caused my upper eyelid to swell up, kind of like a bee sting. And I looked like I had this Quasimodo eye thing going on. So I was not about to be on camera, but I was willing to talk. But the longer the day went on, the worse I kind of felt. I'd had a headache from the pressure and stuff all day long. So I reached out to Natalie. And uh, come to find out, she wasn't having a good day either.
0: <laughs> I went to the dentist and I had a headache and, and, and half of my face was numb. So <laughs> might not I, be the best of days.
1: I think my favorite part of that entire day, though, was our text conversation where you said, I'm pretty sure I'm drooling while I'm typing this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yep, that's right.
1: <laughs> that that made me smile. That made me laugh. It it made all the rest of it worth it because that was priceless. I was like, hey, you know what? You probably are, and I can. That's that's totally okay.
0: <laughs> There's times when it's appropriate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, You know, having novocaine in both sides of your mouth and half your face numb. That that's an appropriate time to drool. It's okay. <laughs> anyhow, we did not necessarily think that any of that needed to be on camera. And the longer that the day went, um, the worse both of us kind of felt as far as just energy and being ran down. So we ended up skipping last week uh, Mm -hmm. and I did not even get anything out there to say, hey, sorry, there's not going to be an episode. It just literally didn't happen. So apologies for that. And uh, yeah, there we go. I think I think that's all I have to apologize for at this moment.
0: (laughs) Our combined apologies.
1: Yes, yes, our combined apologies. So, outside of that, we have a topic today that it's, uh, it could be a touchy subject because Mm -hmm. of just, you know, your perspective on where you stand on this and, um, where I stand on it, it probably would be shocking. I have mentioned, I told you before in the past, but, uh, we're going to talk today about specifically, Honeybees, which are a I mean, technically, they're an invasive species (laughs) that we brought over versus native bees in wherever you're at. You know, you can take literally almost every continent can have this exact same scenario because honeybees were introduced in most places. You know, they only originated in one local area and then kind of spread from there. But then they were introduced to the other continents. So everybody has their own variety of native insects and native bees. That have always taken care of things. Then honeybees come along. So, the main question is there's been a lot of debate in the media and in different circles. And there's now some research that's actually being done to try and actually quantify do honeybees truly outcompete native bees? And are we doing a disservice to the native bees by having honeybees in a vicinity or in an area? So that's the overall framework of this and then there's there's a there's another little thing towards the end that I can I can throw in. So um uh, so yeah, so that's the overarching kind of concept of this is, you know, as a beekeeper are we doing a disservice by having honeybees in an area and are we potentially running out other native bees that are there because they're competing for the food and losing out on that food. So at a high level perspective what do you think? Like without any any background to it or any of the, the actual research data or anything like that, just what is your opinion of that concept?
0: So my initial uh, thinking is um, honeybees are bees and they all eat the same food. So without thinking too deeply into this, bees are bees. They all have a share of the pie. Uh, but you know, if I go a little bit further, I've heard other beekeepers and, and mostly conservationists talk about how they think that the honeybee is basically taking the food away from the native bees. So I'm kind of torn from that perspective. My instinct is not kicking in right away and it takes is going to take more information for me to make a decision, which I have looked into things. And so my my opinion evol- is evolving a little bit. right?
1: Yeah. So what about um- you? I I have always kind of thought that, in some degrees, like we have to worry about. Do we have enough? Oh, there's that. There's that unstable internet connection.
0: <laughs> you're frozen, but we can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I love it. You
0: look um, and now I'm frozen. <laughs> now you're
1: frozen. <laughs> Fun times. Well, I saw it pop up on the screen, so at least no, I had I can a warning. Hear you, though well, you know, um, everybody may just get an audio version of this and the video version may just be not a thing. Who knows? <laughs> so what's funny is I can see you laughing now, but I could not hear you laughing. <laughs> okay.
0: That's, it's It seems like it's better now.
1: I think we're good. I think the, the hiccup has passed for now. <laughs> for this moment, we can right. do it. So- um, okay, so so basically... We always have to, to consider, if you don't, don't even consider native bees for this specific aspect, just honeybees alone. As a beekeeper, when you put a honeybee colony on a parcel of land, you have to make sure that there's enough forage to support that colony. And then when you start adding more and more and more colonies, is there enough forage to truly support all of those colonies? Right. So, exactly. and that's just one species of bee that we're talking about now. Yes it does live as a superorganism with 60,000 sisters in there. So there's a lot going on. But at the same token, you already have to keep that in mind. So yes, absolutely. If you have a lot of them, you Mm -hmm. could be not only out competing native bees, but also out competing your other honeybee colonies and kind of spreading everything a little bit too thin. So yeah, I definitely think it's possible from that high level perspective without any of the research and data and everything else going into it.
0: Well, it's, it's always important to be mindful of what load you're putting on the environment. And that's why we talk about carrying capacity and intensity um, of colony numbers in the area. There's that balance that if you were to let the bees not never feeding them in any way, your colonies would adjust to the available forage in the area and just kind of find a, a number that works for them that allows them to thrive If you you don't and you have too many of them, they will eventually uh, thin out the ones that are not going to make the cut. And if you want more in the poor area, then you're going to have to supplement feed them so that they are actually able to function. So that's that carrying carrying capacity and that intensity that we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, so... Taking all of that into consideration as as you listen to this and you listen to Natalie and I kind of talk back and forth on this, start thinking about some of those those steps. And it's very easy to see how that can actually, you know, be a hindrance or a benefit if you only have one, because again, one really big super colony is going to outperform lots of mediocre colonies. And if you just have one, they've got all those resources to bring in and you can get a bountiful honey harvest from it. You divide that up into a bunch of colonies that are smaller, maybe weaker, and now you got multiple colonies vying for this limited amount of forage, you're... Sample size is obviously going to go down. Your honey harvest is going to be much smaller. Some colonies may not even have enough. So you got to distribute it back and forth. So from that perspective, it it should be pretty easy to understand and to see this. So now here's another thing to throw in there, though, that I think makes things a little bit interesting. Bees, period, all species of bees have their favorites. Some of them are specialized, just like different species of bees carry pollen in different places on their body. Different species of bees nest in different places, prefer different environments, and prefer different types of flowers, pollens, and nectars. So, there's that aspect too. So, if you think about a tomato plant, you could have a whole greenhouse full of tomato plants, and you could put a colony in there, and none of them would ever get pollinated because a honeybee will not touch a tomato plant. Sweet bees. And bumblebees, on the other hand, are specialized to be able to break loose those tightly packed little pollen kernels out of the actual tomato plant and get that to then be pollinated. So you have this other aspect where, well, yeah, you've introduced bees to this environment in this ecosystem, but the bees don't pay attention to certain things out there. And there's other things out there that have always paid attention to that, that have evolved with it, that. Are not being affected whatsoever that are still able to go and get all the food that they need because there is no competition from this new bee that's been introduced there may be competition with other native bees, such as the bumblebee and the sweet bee they're both competing for that same flower source on the tomato plant so you have different things along those lines as well.
0: Well, and that's tied to morphological differences as well. Some bees have longer tongues, some bees have shorter tongues. And the honeybees actually, uh, even within the the, the the gender, the gender, whatever, the, the, the Apis mellifera, there it goes, <laughs> finally came out. <laughs> You've got several kind of subspecies that are not necessarily exactly the same. They can have different sizes and their their, um, their body parts are sized differently and might not fit in some of those flowers. So some of the uh, solitary bees or semi-solitary bees will maybe potentially have different morphology that's going to allow them to access some of the flowers that the honeybees cannot get to. That's so true. That's to keep in mind with that as well.
1: Yeah, that that's absolutely true. Um, now, I have seen a few instances, though, where, because we all know honeybees are way more intelligent than we give them credit for so sometimes you have flowers that are long tubular flowers trumpet type flowers that are designed for butterflies and for uh hummingbirds right. however i have seen many times a honeybee land on the outside of the flower yeah. crawl all the way down to where the flower petals are coming out from the actual stem and find a way to get nectar right. <laughs> They, they just also, bypass they, the flower entirely.
0: Do they cut holes in the petals to get to the nectar or the bottom of the flower? I'm
1: not sure what they're doing because okay. they, they're right there where the petal and the flower or the flower petal and the, the base of the stem basically meet and they they go around the edge of that. I've never gotten close enough while they were doing it to watch and see are they chewing a hole in it? Or maybe we is are. there perhaps just some sort of sweet resin there? Right. That they're getting anyway, or maybe it's just water. Maybe there's some water accumulation right. there, like dew or something. You know, there's there's no telling, but they still, they're visiting certain flowers and they're finding ways to still get something from it, but they're not actually infiltrating the flower the way that nature designed it to be done.
0: Right. And, and then let's not forget that the honeybees are able to collect um, honeydew from aphids as well.
1: That's right? true. So you
0: can make a whole bumper crop of honeydew honey, uh, and that's not even a flower. That's true. I I don't think that any of the other bees out there can do that.
1: Uh, No, but their cousins, the ants, will actually farm and harvest from the aphids to get the honeydew and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it it happens in different aspects in different ways. So if you want to throw a little bit of science into it, though, and you want to talk about some things. So there was an article that was published in the American Bee Journal in September. Uh, that goes through. And it's actually the second part. It's a two-part series. So this is the second part coming back and kind of reiterating and talking about it and going a little bit more in depth. But it talks about the whole concept of pollinators where you have honeybees versus native bees. And, you know, are you out competing? Are you doing any of these other types of things? One of the things in there that I found really interesting is when they set up their test, they go out and they have, they only did four colonies. So they weren't trying to super overload an area. They would put four colonies in an area. And they made sure that in those areas, there were no other beekeepers or bee colonies that they knew of, just native bees. And then they went out and they did regimented screening of everything that was going on and taking notes and everything on it. And what they found was that out of all of the flower visits by a bee, we had, let's see, there was 468 plot samplings and out of those different samplings honeybees were absent mm. and then on the other samplings they observed 393 honeybee visits which again we just mentioned one colony 60,000 bees but only 393 bees were were actually visibly seen visiting specific flowers whereas 1610 native Ooh. bees were seen visiting the same flowers so in one regard Were the bees taking something away? Yeah, a little bit, but in the overall scheme of it, there were a lot of other native bees out there that are competing just as much with each other taking these resources in. So that was kind of an interesting statistic that I expected to be higher.
0: (laughs) Well, and keep in mind also, there's a lot of parameters that are coming into play. For example, um, not all flowers um, secrete nectar at the same time of the day. And some of that might be early morning when only the bumblebees are out kind of a thing. And then the other ones are, are just generating nectar at a different time. So some of that competition is naturally limited by some of the parameters from the flowers themselves and their different schedules, um, how they evolved, co evolved with the other bees. Um, there might be a tighter uh, co evolution that allows the other bees to compete more efficiently against the honeybees that we don't necessarily take into account. This, the parameters are multiple. Uh, Les always talks about how flowers will emit a signal calling bees, telling them when they're um, not um replenished yet some of the flowers will replenish themselves more than once a day so there's all kinds of things that come into play here that i think that we're not privy to and that we kind of need to keep in mind if we want to be objective
1: there well there's also different types of sugars in the different nectars from different plants and the the levels of those sugars vary there's different consistencies of sugar in the nectar itself sometimes it's less water more sugar sometimes it's the other way around so there's a lot of other things in there too. And we know from experience, honeybees are very specific on when they need something. So that flower may be producing, but it may not be producing something they need. It may not have a specific amino acid or protein in the pollen that they're looking for. It may not have enough sugar in the nectar that they're looking for. You know, So there's, there's little things like that too that could actually factor into this. So I think all in all, it, it's, it's really interesting. So ultimately, the, the whole point of their study Did end up finding that when they took all of the research, all the data, and they put it together, they did find that honeybees did have a 19% impact on the native bees in the area. Now, 19% is not massive, but it's still 19% of food stores that did not get to go to the other native bees. So
0: significantly significant, that's for sure.
1: Right, yeah, and that could be, and that was four colonies, so if you have a lot of different colonies, it could be a problem. <laughs> so one of the things that I noticed that was happening a lot in Texas was overcrowding for ag exemptions. Right. And you had these individuals who had just purchased land that was still technically zoned in an area where they could get an agricultural exemption if they had honeybees on the land. However, Things that were not being taken into consideration by the county in the state level at the county anyway, um, were the simple facts that, well, first off, the state, so the, the federal government says this, the state takes it and gives a vague definition of it, and then they disseminate that to the counties and the counties get to choose how they interpret it. So Texas is massive. There's a lot of counties in Texas. Every one of those counties had different parameters for what qualified for an ag exemption and how you could or couldn't do it and all the different little things that had to be included if it with it for it to actually be valid for that county. Right. Now, what wasn't being taken into consideration was a couple of different things. One, the county doesn't want to give you tax exemption status. They really? want their money. So they're right. going to make it hard for you to get that status. And one of the ways of doing that was coming up with preposterous numbers of hives. So that right there was, that's already a bad problem. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that was never taken into consideration is, okay, I've got 10 acres. I want honeybees on my land. You tell me that for my 10 acres, I'm going to need 15 colonies, which is absurd. And you put 15 colonies out there to get that ag exemption. And then my neighbor next door who also has 10 acres decides they want to do it. And they put 15 colonies. And then the neighbor on the other side does it and they have more. So they've got to put 20 colonies Well, now you're pushing like 50 colonies in an area that's not that big.
0: Right, exactly. That's the problem. The competition, that carrying capacity again is kicking in and it's not fair to any of the bees that are on the line. And the the irony there is that they're um, allowing this uh, management of honeybees for ag production, basically production of food or pollination for human consumption. And um, that extra uh, intensity that they're putting on the land, overflowing, the carrying capacity is doing the opposite because now they cannot make a crop. No. So it's kind of completely defeating the purpose because very often you end up having to feed those bees for them to stay alive. Right. Yeah.
1: So if you look at the different products you can get from the hive, obviously honey is number one. But if there's not enough coming in for them to have excess stores of honey, well, okay, that's gone. So maybe you can get some wax from it. But if there's not enough coming in for them to have excess honey, there's probably not enough coming in for them to really grow rapidly either. So there's probably not excess wax. So then you're like, well, I mean, the other way you could make money off of it is the bees themselves. And maybe you could make them, you know, use them to make splits and generate kind of a brood factory kind of thing. But again if there's not enough food coming in to have enough excess honey and to have excess wax, there's probably not enough food coming in to have an excess population. So you're kind of screwed. And then you're spending money feeding these bees. You're never actually getting a true honest to God return. And therefore nothing's going back into the agricultural system. You're actually depleting the land. And again, the whole point of it is because they don't want to pay you. They don't want to let go of that money that they're going to get from you by paying your taxes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so uh, the funny part of it is, so you, you can argue either way because the, the devil's advocate, you you see in New Zealand what happened is that they had um, good enough, I think, information on the local population of bees when uh, the varomites started coming in and taking down the colonies of honeybees. They did see more of the bees, the, the solitary bees, the native bees coming back out. Uh, and stabilizing but it doesn't mean necessarily that it's because it was bad it's just kind of like maybe they just you know exploded or just filled in the void Um, the the um, biggest problem that the bees in general have is not necessarily the competition between each other as it is more the loss of habitat the loss of uh, nest site availability um, pesticides the lack of forage as a general rule. And that's kind of where we um, humans are the ones that are by far creating the most problems for those bees, not necessarily the honeybees, because that's kind of stabilizes itself,
1: right? Well, well, right. And and again, to your point, the, the human population is the one that's actually creating pretty much all of the problems. A native or, well, here, not native, a feral honeybee colony that is living on its own in the wild will not choose nearly as large of a nesting cavity. They will not need as much space. Therefore they will not need as much food reserves and therefore they will not have as big of a population. So you've got this smaller population living in a smaller cavity that's easier to control and maintain. They do not need hundreds of pounds of honey to make it through the winter and therefore, they're not putting as much of a strain on the environment. The beekeeper's the one that created the artificial structure right. that was infinitely expanding so that they could just keep hoarding and hoarding and hoarding, never letting them get to a point where they could stop. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it, too, though, is the obvious one. We keep expanding. And as we do, we keep taking away that native forage, like you were saying. So that's one of the reasons why when people cry out and they're like, well, you know, everybody's focusing on the honeybees and nobody's focusing on these. And it's not really fair. Yes, the honeybee is the poster child. But if you change the narrative to if you want to help bees go plant some some wildflowers out there, because it doesn't matter if you are a somebody who is trying to conserve the monarch butterfly and you plant tons of plants just for the monarch butterfly to reproduce, live and feed on those plants also support other native pollinators. If you plant a huge field of wildflowers for honeybees, you're also feeding other native pollinators, including monarchs. So it all kind of goes hand in hand. And if you can go out there and and start pushing the, and here's the part where I said, this will probably shock everybody. We do not need more beekeepers. That's not the solution. We need more native habitat. If people want to help, don't tell them to go buy a beehive and start a colony. Tell them yeah. to go out there and propagate more native populations of wildflowers for everybody to survive.
0: <laughs> right, I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's like, oh, I got into beekeeping because I wanted to help the bees. The, the bees. When we say save the bees, it's not doesn't mean save the honeybees, by the way. It means save the native bees. And by, yeah, it's all bees. <laughs> yeah, increasing population of honeybees, you're actually doing a disservice, especially because sometimes they can also... It's not been proven, but, you know, there, there's some uh, questions about them transmitting some of the viruses from the varro-mites. Um, does it mean that the bees transferred it or was it already available in, in the world uh, that the native bees were in to, to get exposed to?
1: Right. It, uh, it, sometimes it's the whole causality, but in reality, it's your perception of th- something. So. Easiest example of this is you decide that you are fascinated with a specific new vehicle and you're going to go buy it or you do buy it. And then after you have, you see it everywhere. Right. It's not that it just magically appeared. It's that you paid no attention to it until it was important to you. Same thing with people who didn't really have any interest in honeybees. And then they decide they want to start keeping bees. And suddenly they start seeing honeybees everywhere around them, leading up to them actually being able to get their own bees. And those bees were always there. You just weren't paying attention. So deformed wing virus is something that they have found affects different species of bumblebees and some other native bees. Deformed wing virus is something that we as beekeepers know can injure a colony. And the introduction of a varroa mite inside the colony makes that spread like wildfire. And then you have these other issues and it selects for more potent strains of it. But the varroa mite did not create a virus that could jump from species to species. It already was right. there and it already did that. We just didn't look at it until it was suddenly a big problem over here. And then you start seeing it everywhere.
0: and you're hitting the 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 issue on the head, the nail on the head, because a lot of uh, the problems we're looking at is that we don't have enough research. on the non-honeybees. Most of the research has been focused on honeybees because they're a moneymaker, right? They contribute a large amount to the economic um, um, value of the country. And a lot of people's livelihoods depend on them. It's not the case with the native bees and the solitary bees. So people don't look into it. There's not enough funding for that. So a lot of that stuff is unknown. And we're kind of guessing and we're just not diving into some of that stuff because of the more the bigger picture that we're having some issues with the ecosystem. And uh, without our bees, we're kind of doomed. And it's not just the honeybees. It's all the other bees. The honeybees are just the canary in the coal mine, right? So- right. Um, they're they're the ones we're looking at but you know there might be other problems with the other bees except there's not enough research being done so we don't know that's the reality of things we have no idea how they actually are impacting or not um the native bees and if their role into the demise of the bees is um is competitive with what the uh pesticides the lack of um forage the monocultures the fungicides the gmos um, the lack of um, habitat the destruction of their nest sites all this stuff how much of that is what's causing the problem with the bees as opposed to the colonies of honeybees right so there's all that to keep in mind really
1: well and and you know not to make a a dark gloomy statement more dark and gloomy but a lot of the research that is being done is being funded by the people that are helping to cause the problems and therefore the results are skewed. It's not an unbiased representation of what's truly going on. It's a skewed biased of, this is how we can help you by you buying more of my products or my products really aren't the problem. See, look, they didn't do what you thought they did.
0: <laughs> well, that's kind of my big uh, lesson. I was big joke is that you look at uh, <laughs> um, Honeybee catalog, for example, uh, where you have all like a stick and it's filled with a lot of equipment a lot of ads and a lot of things and it's just kind of like ooh, uh, what can I buy today right and but in the end you know all this stuff is kind of pushed it's a follow the money kind of a thing it's marketing it's just kind of do we really need all this stuff and and um, the funding in the research is the same way right follow the money uh, who's really behind the research that's showing that pesticides are not you know damaging to the bees or vice versa right so yeah always follow the money
1: there you go follow the money folks not Mm -hmm. show me the money follow the money
0: that's right
1: (laughs) well hopefully the uh the internet connection i know that there was a couple of places where it froze up a little bit it might have been a little garbly hopefully you managed to make it through this and understand the majority of what we were talking about Um, and, uh, you know, maybe again, as always, it gave you a little food for thought, a little planted, a little seed in there. You can go through, take it as you will see if it applies, see if it doesn't see how you feel about it. That's kind of the whole concept of the, the beekeeper chats is just to bring up different topics and ideas and subjects. And, and maybe it's something you hadn't thought of before. Maybe it's something that resonates truly with you, but you hadn't looked into it that deeply, you know, who knows, but that's kind of the whole point. So hopefully you got something out of this.
0: Well, and and I think it's important to always be mindful of the unintended consequences of what we do, and the larger picture, all the parameters that are out there, and not just to have a simplistic idea of what's happening. We have to really think and and just kind of keep in mind that we're all in this together, and everything is interconnected, right? So that's
1: right. Just like uh, just like Les says, like you say, we all rise together. That's That's not just people. That's everything else in the ecosystem that is supporting it and holding you up.
0: (laughs) Exactly. We stand on it and we should be more careful to not destroy our foundation.
1: Absolutely correct. So, well, there you go, everybody. Again, I hope that you enjoyed and apologies for not having an episode last week um, and apologies for any technical glitches in this one. It is what it is, but hey, there you go. Uh, We look forward to talking to you again next week. I promise (laughs) but until then as always be good
0: (laughs) and don't forget to be mindful
1: bye-bye everybody bye everyone this hive jive production
0: was made possible by amazing patrons like you and we appreciate your support to all our hive jive junkies out there you truly are the bee's knees